There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. Punched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. Still sitting here in Fort Rucker studio watching David Attenborough's Planet Earth Time. Maybe we have a new Go Balls 24-7 tradition time. Nah, time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan coming to you from Fort Rucker studio. Recording this one on a Thursday, going to release it on Friday morning. As we continue to enjoy what's been a really entertaining NBA and NHL playoff run. I know a lot of people get sad right after spring practice ends, but there's a good, still a good time of the year for sports. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. Mark your calendars. May 15th, NBA Draft Lottery. Where the Grizz get the number one pick? Bomb for Bagley, baby. It could happen. It could, it happen. could happen. They have the number two best odds. Because they had the second worst record in the league this year. How couldn't they not? They couldn't even be the best at sucking. See, this is, this is why you have your honorary Memphian status revoked. You triggered me earlier. I'm just coming back at you. You're, you you claim to be a Preds fan. I don't think you can be a Preds fan and a Grizz fan at the same time. See, I was actually talking to my brother about this. He's moved to Memphis, and he said, is it going to be a problem that I'm a Preds fan in Memphis? I was like, I'm not going to lie to you. It might be. It might be a problem. You might wanna, you might wanna be careful with some. But of at the, the same time, I, I watched. Um, I was at the Flying Saucer. I was after the caravan stop there last year. Were you at the Flying Saucer? Brought to you by the Go Boss Twenty Four Seven Podcast. Yes, I was at the Flying Saucer, enjoying an adult beverage, uh, watching whatever the Clint was. A game six. Sorry to bring these up, Ryan. It was game six against the Penguins? Yes, that was definitely game six. Uh, and no one in, no one in the, in the. And the building seemed to really like notice. There's not any. Che- There's nobody like cheering. It's almost like eh, hockey's on. Yeah. So I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Memphis cares. There. There the are some. Cares. I know there are some like a few season ticket holders there and stuff. But yeah. Oh, but sure. Aside from a few hardcores, no, I would agree. It's not really on the radar very much. Just like the Grizzlies, unfortunately. I mean, there are probably more Grizzlies fans in Nashville, if I had to guess, than Preds fans in Memphis. But just because probably that's just because it's basketball NBA. and hockey. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. There's a basketball has a wider appeal. And because Memphis hates Nashville. I was gonna say that's that's probably the other part of it too. But hockey's one of those things you either just like it or you don't. And there probably aren't that many hockey fans in, in hockey Memphis. in person is really cool. Yeah. You know what needs to happen? There needs to be a sport, a professional sport, where Nashville and Memphis both have a team. Because that would allow this is where Tennessee fans go, it's UT West. That would allow the country. Why can't we kick Memphis to Mississippi, Wes? I think that would allow the country Arkansas. at large, because I don't think people outside the Southeast, especially people, maybe people outside Tennessee, um, maybe people outside the Southeast in general, do not know the Memphis Nashville rivalry. Two cities that don't really have major sports playing against each other, but still just pure straight hate each other at times. And 
I would like a sport there to be a sport where that could be displayed on a national scale. I think that would be fun. It would be like for a while there when Tennessee, when, when people outside the country or outside the, the state finally realized how much Tennessee and Memphis don't like each other in basketball. That was fun. when People got to see that. It would be fun if people got to see Nashville and Memphis hate each other. Cause I get a kick out of it. Cause I'm just like the, the dude in the corner the, the East Tennessee guy just kind of poking both sides, being like, come on, fight, 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 I, fight, fight. Because I, I love both cities. I do not I do claim – I don't claim sides. I love both cities, period. I do too. Um, I But neither city wants you, so. That's true. That's, fair. that's also true. Um, but I, I think it's more like – it's like an economic and stuff rivalry. Like, it's not a sports rivalry, so nobody really cares. Like, it's – That's what I'm saying. It would be nice to add that element to it so be, people could see yeah. – how much the XFL could have gotten us there? We why couldn't we just stick with the XFL? The Memphis it. Maniacs and the Nashville Whatevers, if they had expanded, could have been great. That would have made. Can you imagine the awkward situation that puts like the governor in? That would have been awesome. That'd have been like when the governor has to pick between Auburn and Alabama, or like wear some stupid hat of both teams and puts them together, or something like that. Like those stupid jersey meshups, like the parents do when they have kids at both places. <laughs> those things are so dumb. Yes, they are. <laughs> I don't mind the house divided license plates, but like the the putting the the putting the the ones that are like Tennessee and Georgia Tech, yeah, or like, like Alabama and Texas. Yeah, you're like I don't see the rivalry there, but okay, I, I'm just saying that that I want people to know how much Memphis and Nashville hate each other because it brings me a lot of joy. Because we got we got Nashville and Memphis in this room. I'm gonna have siblings in both cities now. I really want them at family functions. I want them to fight about it, and I'm going to egg them on like at the Thanksgiving dinner table about that. But and that, in text threads, I'm going to try to get them to hate each other because of that, because it's going to be fun for me. But that would be kind of like fighting about spring football practice at Tennessee. See what I did there? Yeah. Why? That we? was a reach of a segue. Okay. Let's just be honest. Yeah, a little bit. I appreciate bit. your effort. I mean, it was a good... Listen, it was a good try, good effort. I've done worse. I mean, I've done worse. Some, I'll definitely have. Somebody, I'll probably do worse before this podcast is over. Somebody had to get you back on the rails because we didn't. We didn't come here to talk about Nashville and Memphis. Let's be honest. Oh come on! Now they say we'll just keep it about Tennessee. I am talking about Tennessee. Maybe not the Tennessee you want to hear about, but I am talking about Tennessee. Don't even get me started. Yesterday on the, you're talking about legalizing pot. Now this. If you don't think that I'm going to spend an entire podcast talking about the Tennessee Georgia water battle at some point over the summer. Oh, I've, dude, you don't know. That doesn't surprise me. I'll even bring Rusty Manziel on here, and we'll fight about Let's it do that. on the air and get Jake Rowe on there, bring him in on Skype, and be like, you guys are jerks. Let's do it at the 24-7 sports conference next That's week. That's a good point. We're going to have to point him out across the room. You. We're going to fight. Like uh, like Char- Steiner, like uh, uh, Charlie, uh, Inventor Holyfield. Charlie, come get your whooping. Charlie, come get your whooping. Tennessee spring practice. Hold on. You know what that time it is. Oh, geez. Here we go. This right here is the itinerary, which we have for our Friday football podcasts. Uh, there's a lot to talk about with Tennessee spring practice. It is done and dusted, as they say, across the pond or home and host. The Vols have played their orange and white game. Uh, if you missed the podcast where Patrick and I talked a lot about that game, uh, the night of the game, because that's how, that's how rapid we get these things to you people. First of all, if you didn't catch that, what are you doing? Yeah. Because what, what, you miss greatness. Re-examine your life and the decisions that have gotten you to this point. You know what? Don't even just don't even continue with this one. Pause this one. Open up another window on your phone, tablet, browser, and go listen to the other one. Or keep this one running on mute on your computer 
and then use your phone and run the other one. So that way we get even more clicks and listens. See what I did there? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm cool with that. But if you didn't hear us talk more specifically about that game, you should go back and listen to that one because this is going to be more of a more of an entire spring camp dissection than just the orange and white game itself. Uh, but we had to get that orange and white one out so fast because we actually got to see 11 on 11 football, which was, which was nice. It, you know, it maybe not have been the best, maybe wasn't the best football uh, by design and because they don't have a lot of depth right now, but still football that we got to watch, which was nice. Bottom line guy, guys, or I could say guy and then other guy, what, Guy and then Ryan. Guy, Guy, Ryan, Ryan, Come Guy. Come on, guys. <laughs> what, what did, what did we learn this spring about this coaching staff? What did ab- we learn? about this team? About sort of the direction of this program? We didn't get to see a ton, but we got to see enough. We got to talk to plenty of people, at least behind the scenes. What did we learn, and what did this staff learn this spring? Uh, so let's start with the big picture because I, I've heard just enough coming out of the spring game. I mean, I've heard, I've heard some people that I think kind of saw what, what we saw and sort of understand where this team is. And then I've still seen some people saying, you know, you add Dominic Wood Anderson, you add Keller Christ, you add Madre London, all these guys that aren't here yet. This might be a pretty good team. I think what I learned about this team this spring is they're going to have a hard time. Yeah. Let's just call it what it is. I, I honestly, Happy Friday, everyone. Yeah. yeah. Oh, not, don't drive that car off the cliff. Yeah. I, I'll i be honest. I, what, I saw, blanket. what I saw during the spring game looked like about it. Looked like a team that if they win six games, they've done pretty well. Yep. It looked like, honestly, more of a five and seven team probably than a six and six team. And again, people get mad at us to say, where's your optimism? Where's this? No, we're trying to be honest. And I think the way you view every season starts with your expectations and what's realistic and what should be expected. And I'm not saying that every year you should expect this because, you know, we've said before, I said Tennessee should win the East when, when I thought Tennessee should win the East. I, I, I've been honest about these things. And with one exception last year, I think most of us have been pretty spot on with what we thought we were going to see. So uh, there are a lot of unknowns with this team. But the bottom line is I keep getting back to this. When you look at how many things are going to have to change or how many things are going to have to go right, how many dominoes have to fall in place for Tennessee to be a good football team this season. It just looks like a bridge too far for me. It looks like I don't know. It's just hard to assume that every single one of those things that has to happen does happen. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. This is a good coaching staff. I do believe that. I think Tennessee has upgraded the staff, uh, and, and not just the head coach. I, I think they've upgraded uh, the staff in general. They got some really good, really well paid, really well respected in in this in this football landscape. Some really well respected coaches. So I think they're they're going to play hard. I do think that. But you know, you look at even all that talent that Kirby Smart had at Georgia when he came in and tried to change that culture at Georgia. And he had talent to work with. And if you don't believe that, go look at those rosters. You're full of it. He had a lot of talent when he got there. When they changed that culture, there was so much of a shock there that they went six and six. Seven and five. Oh, did they go seven and five the first year? Seven and five? Yes. Saban's first year, Bama was six and six. So correct. It takes time no matter who you are. 
uh, at least a couple years. But I just look at, you know, you look at the list of, man, the quarterback play has got to get better. They have to figure out something on the offensive line. Uh, they have to, you know, figure out something at cornerback. When you're talking about concerns at quarterback and cornerback, you're off to a bad start. Uh, and then you talk about the offensive line and how many huge question marks there are there. Uh, and then you talk about do they have the backs that they want for this kind of offense? Uh, do they have a proven pass rusher? The guy they know is going to get after the quarterback. There are some things to like, and, and we'll talk about that. But I just think that there's too many things to question to, to think this team is going to be really that competitive. I, I I don't want to ruin people's lives here, but I'm telling you, I think if this team gets to a ball game, it is a hell of a year. I, I agree. And well, so that that gets me. Well, what to do what you think, my, Patrick? You've been quiet. I was going to say that gets me to what my and Patrick can maybe play off this. My my. I don't agree with anything you say. Perfect. Good start. I <laughs> That's like fair. it. I agree with Patrick. My, uh, but what my initial point was going to be is this team still needs more playmakers. Um, and that's kind of what got me to say on both sides of the ball on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, because in the spring game, that's what I saw that I think concerned me to, to make me think this team's going to be hard pressed to win six is that even with some help coming in, Dominic Wood Anderson might help a lot. Keller Chris might end up being the starting quarterback for all we know. Madre London could help the running game. Maybe they get some offensive line help somewhere before this summer that, that boosts things. Maybe Trey Smith is back out there this fall and that makes a big difference. There's still some variables that could make this team look a lot different, but even if some things fall their way, I think they're going to be short on playmakers, and that's that's concerning. And that doesn't even that doesn't even address where they are on the offensive line right now, which is obviously a major concern. I think they've got a chance to have some good playmakers on offense. I do. They do. They have they have some. Uh, I, a receiver. I think I feel better about them than I did a yeah, couple months ago. That was that was one of the things I took away from the spring game is that you know you got Callie and Josh Palmer on the outside. You got Brandon Johnson in the slot. You had Juwan Jennings that group. That's not a bad group. I mean, you can yeah. work with that. And then you've got I think Ty Chandler. No, he's not a fit, but he's going to have to be a guy for this offense. The staff's going to have to give him the ball a lot because they, they, they just don't have anybody. They don't have that big running back that they can just give it to 20 times. And then Tim Jordan was a guy that we – I don't want to say we forgot about him. I know – can't forget about the Buff Hamster, but he looked good. So I think he's got a chance to be solid. They got Madre London coming in. But uh, defensively, I, I you don't want to read too much in the spring game. That's not. That was not a, a confidence-inspiring performance. That's, by that's where I am because I I was on the side that I thought if Tennessee had a, had some upside, and how much this of year, a difference are, could Darren Kirkland and Daniel Tillery right. really make? And that's my thing. If, if I thought if this team had some upside, it was on defense, and it was because of this staff and Jeremy Pruitt maybe being able to work with what they have yeah. well enough to to make this a solid defense and and keep some games close and fairly low scoring. Because even if those good playmakers on offense maybe surprise some people. I still don't think this is going to be a high-scoring offense. No. So you're going to need to win some low-scoring games and keep, keep them close to have much of a chance against some teams. Hard and to I, win low-scoring games in this era. It is. and uh, But but maybe you still won that way. And, I, man, after seeing that defense in the spring game, I know it's just the spring game, but I, I just I, – there were a couple things that you, you saw and you were maybe encouraged by, but overall I just didn't think that defense did enough to make you say – yeah, there's some there's some potential there. Like they, it looked like a pretty average looking defense at best. I think the biggest problems with this team and this roster are their biggest weaknesses are going to be positions you cannot hide in the SEC. Cornerback especially. And the offensive line. You cannot hide those positions. I mean, if you have a bad offensive line, you you're playing with one arm behind your back. That's you're just so and handicapped because you can't throw the ball, you can't run it, you're long you're bad down distances, you get your quarterback hit. And the only way in this era to hide bad corners is to have a great pass rush, which I don't think they no, have. No, and Tennessee doesn't and Tennessee doesn't have that. I mean, they're they're, you know, 
their front. I think they did better in the scrimmages than maybe they they did in 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 the spring game. And, and you have to say that Daniel Batuli is their best run stopping mm-hmm. linebacker. So you yes, you want him out there, and he wasn't out there and didn't miss a lot of tackles um, last year. I don't. I don't think Will Ignite. I think he was. It was a good spring for him, but I don't think he's. I don't. I don't think he's knocking down the doors for Batuli and Kirkland for that for to be in the starting lineup. But, um, yeah, I just. They just. This seems going to be. They're just going to have to scrap and claw and be a blue collar team. They're going to have to. They're going to take their lumps in some games. They're going to have mean, to have some it factor. It's, it's going to be a little bit like, um, Butch Jones's first year where they lost some games bad. 28 plus points and weren't competitive. I mean, they went up that year. They got run off the field by Oregon. They got run off the field by Auburn. Alabama beat them pretty bad. Um, you know, Missouri didn't even play that great and beat them easily. So they're, they're going to be, you know, Tennessee's going to take some lumps this year, but there also are some games where the talent gap's not going to be that wide. And you hope that if you're a Tennessee fan, you see enough from this coaching staff to know that, you know, they can, do more with less and maybe scrape out a couple games here and there, yeah. whether it be, you know, I don't want to say maybe South Carolina. I mean, well, I don't, Florida, I don't, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Missouri. You know, those are the games that – those are going to be the games that are going to be deter- – that, that will determine whether or not Tennessee gets to a bowl game. And West Virginia, too, I think, you know, that's a tough game to start off with. But, um, you know, there's, there's no reason to think Tennessee can't win that game. But it looks like a bad matchup for them. I, I think – a seven to ten point underdog. It's absolutely fair at this point. Yes. Yeah, I look at it, and and, and again, I don't want to say that it's fun when you're an underdog with very little to lose. I don't want to say that's a fun situation to to be in. However, when you have very little to lose, that does free you up to go just kind of YOLO out there. You can throw yeah. different things out there. You can you can. And we t- saw Butch Jones coach like a YOLO coach his yeah. first year. When he had no, when he knew he had equity and he had nothing to lose. That yeah. that's that that's fine. And then he didn't. And, and, but and I'll also say this. And Pruitt admitted uh, in a story that, that Patrick wrote after just not long after the spring game that he gave the team a D ish grade on learning the scheme so far and picking it up. But he said that's not their fault because they're throwing a lot at them. And here's what's going to happen. I don't know Pruitt all that well yet. I, you know, like none of us really know him all that well yet. However, knowing, knowing enough about him and knowing that he is a pragmatic guy and a guy who, who wants to compete every game, the, the, what, here's how you do that. You spend all of spring camp throwing everything at these guys and seeing what sticks. You throw everything at them. You try to throw the big picture at them. You try to give them all the different looks you're going to do. You see who can pick it up and quickly and who can't. You see who can do what. And then you, you continue doing that throughout the offseason. You continue doing that for the first week or two of spring camp. And then a couple weeks before the season, you start paring it down because at that point you start figuring out, this is what I can do. This is, who, you know, this is what I have. And if I want to compete – I'm going to have to pare this down and put all of these guys in the best situations for themselves and for their teams to have success. So I think when they start specializing a little more and they get to know these players a little bit more, I think practices and things like that will look better because I think they will have guys, they will get a feel for what these guys can and can't do. And, and if his goal is to build this thing long-term but compete while you're doing that, the only way to do that is to keep throwing everything against the wall, finding what sticks, and then seeing how 
what guys can do and then letting them do that. So I, I think that that's where I am with this team is I think it could look better when that happens. But if you're looking for this team to do things like compete for the East, stuff like that, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that I see that. That's, that's putting the card ahead of the horse. Yes. That's trying to beat Usain Bolt in a 100-meter race before you start walking. Try- I mean, you, you, Tennessee and this, you know, this is the sobering reality, but your season's going to hinge on whether or not you can beat Vanderbilt in Kentucky and Missouri. And, and maybe whether you can upset a Florida or a South Carolina, which would be an upset this year. Yes. I, don't know. I wouldn't call it an upset. I think Florida's better on I would paper. think I would think Florida and South Carolina would be favored. Yeah. But I wouldn't say they'll be favored only by because, two touchdowns. Only because the Florida games early in the season and in Knoxville could it be a fairly tight spread, but I still think Florida's favored in that game. As we are watching, as we're recording this, we're, we're going to be, we're always... We're dating ourselves we're, here. We're in all candor. We're, we're, we're recording this during the Braves-Reds game, and one of our colleagues, the guy who's not here today, uh, the worthless Grant Ramey, is at, big Braves fan, is at the Braves-Reds game for Ronald Acuna's second game. And uh, as we're recording this, he just went yard. So... Uh, I'm pretty sure that Grant Ramey is in sports heaven right now. Even he who will crap on anything <laughs> has to be happy about this. I might the guy might even be smiling. The guy might even be smiling. I think he's passed out from excitement. Excitement. Yes. It's like a rush of he blood, fainted. a rush of blood to the head. I can't handle this. Well, he texted our group that Acuña is up, and so I grabbed the TV remote, and since I have DirecTV, some free promo for DirecTV here. I know what channel the Braves games come on. So I flip it over there, and within 10 seconds of me flipping the channel... You mean DirecTV brought to you by... The Go Ball Swim Podcast. podcast. Within 10 seconds of me putting, uh, turning the channel, he launches this thing just about out of the Dagum Stadium. Upper Decker. Yes. And and uh, not not the funniest kind of Upper Decker, but an Upper Decker nonetheless. And uh, Wait, this is, Oh, come on. This that's just funny. <laughs> that's just funny. This is a lowbrow podcast brought to you by the Go Ball Swim Podcast. This is yesterday uh, pot today this, potty humor. This is potty humor brought to you by the Go Balls Twenty Four Seven podcast. However, um, we were talking about. I guess we should get back to this. We're, we're in all honesty, we're texting Ramey right now while we're <laughs> while we're recording this podcast. However, uh, I think that what concerns me. There's a lot of things that concern me about this team. But we, when we start looking, all, right, all right, hold on. After downing everyone, we need to tease that we're going to say, "Hey, here's some reasons for optimism." After no, this. that's that's what I'm saying. And, and, but, but after it, this, go it, on with your negative point. No, th- it's not a negative point. It, it actually it it's, is. It's it's it, negative because it's reality. It's Let's the just worst. Be it's the worst kind of negative point because it takes a positive and goes, "Is it really that much of a positive?" So it's the worst kind. But when you look at the things that we liked from Tennessee this camp, right? What did we like? We liked the wide receiver play. We like the improvement there. We like the playmaking ability on the perimeter. However, what is the single biggest question mark on this Tennessee team, aside from the offensive line, the cornerback situation? So how much did we really learn about the wide receivers? Because they're going to be playing better DBs moving forward. So... And that was a concern for this team last year. Guys couldn't get separation. Brandon Johnson played as much as he did and was pro- as productive as he did because he was the one guy they really could count on to run good routes and consistently get open. And and, and on defense, you know, one of the things that I like, and I, I don't know, I'm not going to speak for everyone. I'll speak only for myself here. Just like we don't speak for uh, 24-7 sports or CBS or anything else, we just speak for ourselves. However, when you look at what was the most 
I don't want to say impressive, but the most pleasant surprise on defense might very well have been the young inside linebackers. Because then you think about adding guys like, you know, Batuli and Kirkland, the probable starters, to that mix with Sapp and some of those other young, you know, and, and Ignat and some of those other young guys who have been doing some good things. Okay. You know, you start seeing some positive things there. However, those guys were going against Tennessee's offensive line and running backs that were maybe not built specifically for this kind of offense. So even then you go, uh, how much of a positive was it really? However, let's not assume the worst. Let's assume, let's be level-headed on these assumptions. Let's say that the wide receivers really did take a step forward. Let's say that, that the inside linebacker depth could be a good thing, and that linebacker depth across the board could be a pretty decent thing for this team, which is an important part of the defense, obviously. So um, there were some positives, weren't there? I mean, there were a few. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the depth, yeah, on top of the playmakers, I think my, my biggest concern about this team would be the lack of depth because you're, you've got a razor-thin margin for error, and this team's you, – you get into the second team at, at a lot of positions, and you might be in trouble with this team. You might – the question about this team is whether they're going to have enough pieces in place with some additions this summer to at least look at the starters out there and say, okay, you keep this group mostly healthy throughout the season, you might have something okay. That's that's the biggest challenge for this team. If they can do that, then they could be a little bit more interesting than, we, than we're letting on right now maybe. But it, once you get into the second team and you're going to have injuries, at some point you're going to have them. And you might have them in the worst possible spots as we've seen with Tennessee the last few years. But – They've got to stay healthy because that second team didn't look very good in the spring game. And that's, no, it, it didn't. And, and, and that's been a bugaboo for Tennessee a lot yeah. of times in recent years was the, the first team could stay in there and compete. And then what would happen is the attrition in the second half would start to wear on these guys and the other teams would be fresher and would be making all these plays. And, you know, that, that, that's been hurting Tennessee. But when, when you talk about wide receivers with those guys, you know, the first couple names you think of are kind of, at least maybe from this spring, were guys like, you know, Callaway, who had a really nice catch in the spring game. Uh, would have been a nice catch against any cornerback. And and Josh Palmer took some steps forward, I think, and, and started showing more of the skills and more of the natural talent that made coaches excited about him. You know, he was kind of a human incompletion last season, but he went and made some big plays in the spring game and would have had 100 yards if they'd made the correct call on that ball down the sideline. And then you start talking about adding Jawan Jennings, one of the most physical wide receivers in the SEC, if not all of college football, adding him into the mix. And by the way, Jawan Jennings is working his way back from that knee injury, but guys, he looks big. He's put on good weight um, with his time away. Uh, he, he has He's looking really good physically, I think. As soon as that knee gets, gets right, uh, I, I think he's going to be ready to roll, and I think he's going to be motivated and hungry, and I think he's, gonna, he's, gonna be a, he's just going to help everybody by his competitive spirit as much as anything. And then... Here's what I like about the wide receivers, too, because Brandon Johnson, I think you know what you're going to get, Steady Eddie, and I don't mean that in a bad way. You know what you're going to get, and it's going to be pretty good. But I like those young receivers. I, I think part of the reason that they moved Elante Taylor to cornerback is because they desperately need help at cornerback. But I got to think at least a tiny part of the reason was because some of those young receivers, Jacquez Jones, Jordan Murphy, I like the ball skills those young guys have. I think they're quick guys. They look like they're running pretty good routes. And, and they never, you know, they never catch the ball with their body. They go out and pluck it and 
they can do some things in the slot. They can do some things. I, I think they're pretty nice talents. Jordan Murphy, I can go with you on that one. I, I think he's interesting. I think the fact they had him back on punt returns during the spring game was interesting. I think Very quick. Might get, be quicker than he is fast, yeah, but he can run. That's something we didn't see as much with the old staff, and, and I think is telling that this staff sees him as that type of player and, and shows the, the kind of spring he's maybe had. So that uh, that, that bodes well. Otherwise, I, I do think the the concern at cornerback was the primary reason for Taylor moving. But were you not? I mean, were you saying that that Jacquez Jones? You didn't. You weren't. Because I'm not saying I think the guy's like a Heisman contender or anything. Like, don't or Bolitnikov. I just. I think he's I, still battling for a second team spot. Oh, I, mean, I do, I I do too. But I'm just saying when, when the, there's different positions that we get to see better than others because the area that we view on the practice field gets us close to a, a few groups and it kept us forever away from the tight ends. Uh, we couldn't see anything the cornerbacks were doing, maybe by design. and But but we did see a lot of the quarterbacks and wide receivers. Uh, we didn't see much of the running backs, which used to be the position we were sitting on top of for practice, and now it's kind of the offensive line and wide receivers that we're on top of um, and, and the defensive line, which used to be in the pit. But I, I, I like – I just like the way those guys – it's routes on air or it's one-on-one stuff – but I really like the way those guys go get the ball. I mean, that, that's a skill that's so important. They, especially when you're not a big guy, you got to go out and get the ball. And they do that. They pluck it. They don't catch it with their bodies like a lot of guys do. They you hit pluck. on the key though. We don't see these guys even in one on ones. Much no, less but, no, but you, but you can see some things. Like you know, even early in his career, Josh Malone would let the ball get to his body too much and not go out and pluck it. You know, you, there's just some little skills that those guys have that I I like the potential of that wide receiver group. And I think that's important because whoever's Tennessee's quarterback is probably not going to have a lot of time to throw. So he's going to have to trust the wideouts to either catch the ball or let it hit the ground because Pruitt's not a guy who he was not a big fan. He's okay when they throw the ball away, but when they take deep shots down the field, he don't want that ball out of bounds. He wants it inbounds where the guys can make a play on it because he knows that he's got some big tall receivers and, and strong guys who can go get it. Uh, and this team's going to need to make big plays. It's going to want to shove the ball down the field. So they're going to have to trust the the wide receivers, yeah. and I think Garantano is showing that, I mean, he threw the ball to Palmer a lot in that game. Yeah. He, 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 he feels good about Josh Palmer. So, And obviously everybody feels good about Callaway. So mm-hmm. I, I think, and, and even Eli Wolf is a guy who can. Had a nice spring game. You know, and, and had a nice spring overall. He's not what this staff really wants at tight end uh, long term. But he's a guy who can do some things. So I, I think there is some room for hope at those positions. And I know that Ty Chandler is not Jeremy Pruitt's classic type of running back, the big bruisers that he wants, more like the Banks and Londons and those guys. I mean, obviously, Same with Tim Jordan, you know, really. Derrick Henry's. I mean, uh, but I, you mean Buff Hampshire. But I, I, I think. I, I think there are some things to like about this team. It's going to come down to how well it competes, though. And I, that's kind of a cliche, but I, I mean that in the truest sense with this team. This team can take nothing for granted. Oh, yeah. This team has to go out there, and it has to do little things right. It can't have stupid penalties and get behind the sticks. It can't turn the ball over a lot. There's just some things that, you know, when you have Kamara and Malone and, and all those guys and a Dobbs at quarterback – a turnover now and then is not going to kill you necessarily because you can put points on the board. With the board, they put 30 points per game on the board every year, basically. So that's probably not going to happen with this bunch. The margin for error is really slim. But I, I think there were some things that 
that that were good. Like who, if we had to list a few guys who really kind of help their causes, you know, we do the five on the rise during the season. Yeah. If we had to do something like you, that, you do the five on the rise. Listen, it's not about me; it's about the team, Patrick. <laughs> you get uh, feedback, but you 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 do it. You make the presentation. Well, yeah, but I also I'm I'm applauding you. I'm praising you. Well, no, collectively though, but I mean, I run it by everybody and say, listen, are any of these names really stupid? And usually what I, what, I say yes. Yes, what I love about y'all is that <laughs> you'll be like, dude, that guy wasn't that good last week. What are you talking about? And you're forgetting this guy who had a great game. And I'm like, oh, that's a good point. So it's it's a collective thing. But if we had to do a, a kind of a five on the rise style for this spring, who are some guys who coming out of spring camp stated their case? and improved their stock from what it was going into spring camp. I, I mean, it'll, it'll seem like an obvious because of a spring award, but I think Kyle Phillips, the fact that he, I don't think you knew going into the spring that you could count on him as a starting defensive end in this system. I think the fact that he's done that and, and to hear Jeremy Pruitt talk about the, the work ethic he's shown, the attitude he's shown. And, and just, it sounds like from the scrimmage performances he's had, he's been kind of a, a steadier presence there. You don't know what you're going to get in Jonathan Kongbo still. He's such a huge wild card for this team. So you need Kyle Phillips to nail down that spot, and I think he's so far done that. Uh, they Sure, they still need better guys on the defensive line. They definitely need better depth there. But I, I think he's given them at least a guy they feel they can count on to be solid, and that, that was much needed uh, with this defensive transition they're making. So I'd, I'd, I'd start with him. I think he had a, a spring that helped his cause and made them feel at least a little bit better about that defensive line situation. Yeah, I, I think that, that Phillips is a guy who helped his cause. We can obviously say that, that Eli Wolf is a guy who helped his cause. We tend to gravitate um, toward the new guys and the guys who weren't previously in a position to be big-time yeah. players. So I think I think you mentioned you know you, you throw in guys like Corte Sapp, who had a good spring. Guy who I thought might win the award for, yeah. for most improved. Although, although he's not projected as a starter probably still, he's at least in the mix now at that at that inside linebacker spot. One of the few guys who's put on the weight that Pruitt yeah. wants all these guys to put on. He still needs to add a few more pounds in the summer, but that's not hard. I think you know being in the 225 range now, he could probably be 230 by the time the season starts, and that's a nice place for him to be considering where he's been his first his first few years at Tennessee. So, I, yeah, I think Corte Sapp I would throw in that mix. Uh, you know, offensively, I'd – it, it, it's maybe harder to say, but I, I think Ty Chandler still is one of them, you know, because he he's not that ideal Pruitt type of running back. I think he he wants a bigger guy that can carry the load between the tackles, but I think they've been pleasantly surprised maybe by the plays he's made in scrimmage situations and things like that. So I think you've got to include him there too, even even if he has competition on the way in the form of Madre London and Jeremy Banks. Uh, one of my five on their eyes is, I'm going to steal this from Wes, so... Uh, the fullback position. Oh. I don't know who's going to play it. That's Wes applauding. Uh, it's back, baby. It's back, and yeah. it's magnificent. Uh, and it was really, it, you know, it, something that really struck me is, I don't want to say odd, but I was like, okay. Uh, it was, a, I think, the second to last week of spring. Pruitt was like one of his um, stream of conscious, consciousness answers was he was like, you know, we just, we want some tight ends. We we want some tight ends that can actually block. We don't you know, we don't we don't need them to go out there and run pass patterns. We got wide receivers yeah. to do that. If I'm gonna throw the ball, I'm gonna throw the ball to my best athletes. <laughs> and then he's like, you know, we don't really have a lot of fullbacks on the roster, but uh, they they were they used tight ends at, at fullback most of the spring uh, with the first team offense uh, during the spring game. It was Austin Pope. I think Jay Blakely was getting some work there. Uh, I think Wes, you wrote something that said Bumpus was getting second team fullback looks mm-hmm, a little bit. Yeah. Um. So I mean. That's clearly a part of this offense. It's going to have the I formation. They were they were in the I formation down at the one. I think well, 
a lot of people had to be excited about that after the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, and so you know, uh, who's going to play it? I don't know. I think I think either of those tight ends probably has a good, has a good chance. But um, yeah, defensively, I, again, a, a guy I've talked about a lot is is Theo Jackson. Uh, I want to see what kind of push he can make to to be a starter alongside Nigel Warrior at safety. Um, I, you know, Mike Abernathy, he's a veteran. He's been a good player. Uh, he's shown he can be a high level quality starter in this league, but, um, his guy's gone. Bob Shoup is the president of his fan club. That's what Bob Shoup said. Uh, said he's not there anymore. So, uh, that's, it's going to be interesting to see if, if maybe it's Todd Kelly when he gets back, maybe it's Theo Jackson, maybe it's somebody else, but, uh, Jackson had a bit, you know, the first big play of the spring game was, was him making that interception and. Uh, I like to see he's an intriguing athlete to me and a guy that I think could help if, if he gets a chance. Yeah, I think there were some guys out there who 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 helped their cause, certainly. There were some guys – you know, it's hard to say much. I, I, I'd really love to throw an offensive lineman in there. I was trying to think of the same thing. You know, I thought Ryan Johnson had yeah, a solid spring game. Johnson was okay. I, I think I think Carvin showed some signs that he could be a decent player. He's got upside. Yeah, he, he, you, know, you didn't I, see it as much consistently, but it's there. No, but Johnson at center, I, I think showed showed some things when he was mm-hmm. when he was there. Drew Richmond, you still just want to see more from him. I thought in the spring game, you know, he, I, I, he got, I think I think Locklear could be a decent player. I'm not willing to give up on him. I like the way he works. Yeah. I like. I think he's a pretty good looking athlete. You know, I I, I think that there are. You know, there, there's potential there. I mean, he's a developmental guy in in, a, in an ideal world like Johnson, who you wouldn't have to throw out there until a second or third year. But you know, you might not you might not have that luxury. Uh, so so that's you know, and, and and let's be real, Tatum did get bigger. Uh, he he's starting to look a little bit less like a tight end. You know. Yeah, I know. I I would agree with that. I mean, I I think the. I don't know. I was I was talking about Drew Richmond a second ago. You know, I, I think that's the guy you wanted to see more from this spring because that you need to count on him on the offensive line. If you're going to feel better at all about about Tennessee's offensive line, Drew Richmond can't be one of your biggest concerns. And he got beat off the edge by Jonathan Kongbo a couple times. And that's not to say that Kongbo is a bad player, but he hasn't shown the knack for getting off the edge that quickly uh, in. in Tennessee's former defense so to see him do that a couple times when they were in nickel sets and things like that that's that's a bit concerning you don't want to see that from Drew Richmond he needs to still be more consistent and more reliable there off the edge if this if this team's going to take a step forward and be able to protect the quarterback so you know but but there were some there were enough positives at at some positions that yeah you don't come away feeling this team has just no potential that they can't make a bowl game you feel okay because we've mentioned several guys at different spots that look like they're on the right track they've had some you know, Alante Taylor showed flashes at corner. I thought in the spring game. You know, Jeremy Pruitt made it sound like he might go back to receiver. He's just uh, he's just an he's just a football player. You can just tell. Yeah. You, you can watch Taylor and you go, you find a way. For, he's going to be on the field somewhere. I, I I don't know where exactly, but he's he's going to be on the field. Yeah. I I don't know if it's wide receiver, cornerback, where it is. Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe return game. Pruitt just there. He's a hard guy to impress. And Pruitt talks about Taylor a lot. I think he likes Alante Taylor. So I think that's a kid, a kid who, especially with a full summer to work with now, he's a, he's a guy he's going to be see, in the mix. I could see him being one of this team's ten best players by the end of the season. If, wouldn't, if, wouldn't surprise me if if wow. things go his way. I mean, hey, if he ends up at corner, I think that's the case. I I don't know if he's at receiver if he gets enough of a chance to prove that this year. But if he's at corner, I think he may start as a true freshman. I really believe he could. Yeah, th- th- there's maybe not right away, but at some point. Yeah, and, and I know that 
that we're probably for, forgetting some people when we talk about guys who who helped their cause this spring a little bit. But, but one thing I did notice during practice, and, and I'll have to defer to the coaches on how well he played or didn't play, but I liked that I saw Shai Tuttle be a little more vocal this spring. There were days where when some of the young defensive linemen were kind of struggling through some drills and stuff, Shai Tuttle was doing stuff he never used to do. He would get in their faces and tell them to pick it the bleep up. You know, he, he would get in their faces, you know, get right in their grills and, and would give them a little bit and say, this, this isn't good enough, guys. You know, we, we, we're, you know, we're doing this drill over and over because of you. Like, you, you're not getting it right. Let's go. Let's do this. Come on. And that's stuff that I don't think Shai Tuttle ever would have done early in his career because he's just not that type of guy. So you're, you're seeing Phillips speak up more, too. You're, you're starting to see some – because he's naturally just a really quiet kid. So mm-hmm. it, getting him to speak up is and not just be a leader by example is a, is a good deal. Um, you know, I, I think the linebackers respond certainly to different guys. They always responded to Jumper making the calls because they always trusted him in those situations. His teammates always loved him for that reason. Uh, and I don't know that – you know, Sapp's been an outside linebacker, so this is a different thing for him. And you didn't have Kirkland out there barking every call – um, Batuli was limited until the, the tail end of camp so and didn't even go in the game. So um, there are some things out there. But one, one guy who helped himself during the game, at least, uh, was Brent Samaglia hitting. When was the last time, when was the last time in any game or scrimmage or whatever that you can remember a, a, a Tennessee kicker making two attempts beyond 40 yards in the same game and not missing anything? That's thing that something something like that in the NFL you take for granted, and at Tennessee you used to take it for granted, but you haven't been able to take that for granted recently. That's, and that happened in the game, and that was important because this team, when it gets in scoring range, it's got to put points on the board. That's very true. so that's important. Paxton Brooks also I thought had a good spring game at punter after having an early early shank, I guess you could say. Um, I, I thought the rest of the day showed pretty well for a true freshman, and you know at least showed that he's got the leg the leg to be a pretty reliable punter in the SEC. Now it's just a matter of whether he can do it consistently as a freshman. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think he looked, he looked to me like the leader in the clubhouse at that position. And I don't think we really knew for sure uh, before the spring game. It, you know, he was obviously the scholarship guy, but Joe Doyle's also in there. They've got the, the junior college transfer they brought in as a walk-on, stuff like that. But he, he still looked like the guy that you, you wanted to be the favorite because he's on scholarship. And, and he, I thought, lived up to that in the spring game and looks like the, the man to beat. Yeah, and, and, but someone had told me that um, the, the walk-on punter from Farragut did have a yeah Joe Doyle. I, Joe Doyle. Someone told me he's a former Under Armour All American. I mean, he's he's legitimately in the competition. Yes, I think, and, so. and someone he didn't have uh, he didn't really look great in the orange and white when he got a couple opportunities. But um, but someone told me someone who I trust told me that he had a pretty good spring overall. So that's a good sign. You know, Pruitt was so focused on the defense and, and held and so focused on the offense and all that, that I'm not sure they got to spend a ton of time on special teams right now. But, you know, I, I, I think they'll do more of that going forward. And, and you saw enough there that you, you at least feel better about the punting situation and, uh, you know, ha- have a couple of options there. So that, those were big question marks about this team because you're replacing Aaron Medley, you're replacing – uh, Trevor Daniel, that's that, those are big shoes to fill, and this team, as we've talked about, is going to have a, a really thin margin for error. They're they're going to need to be solid on special teams. You know, returners, a big question too. You know, <laughs> one of the most interesting things I don't think we've discussed yet is during the spring game, Jeremy Pruitt just kind of tossing the ball to the returners. They weren't even fielding the kicks if they weren't exactly online. He would just kind of pitch them a ball and let them go from wherever they were standing. And I thought that was 
you don't see that uh, even in even in spring games, which can you know you can kind of make up the rules as you go in those. But I thought that was interesting that he wasn't having them field the actual kicks. But that's another area where they need to get better and need to be pretty good uh, for this team to be solid next year because special teams is so so important. And that's one of the areas they were always you know pretty good for the most part under Butch Jones. They need that to still be the case under Jeremy Pruitt because uh, because they're not going to be exceptional on either side of the ball. Yeah, and you know, it, it, I think that was one of the biggest changes of of just for us in terms of covering practice because open part of practice under under Butch, you'd always have special teams. It's always stretch right into specialists, and they'd have one or two periods of special teams. You'd get to see a team play of special teams sometimes. You'd yeah. see eleven on eleven kickoff reps and stuff. Yeah, and then we didn't see a single special teams anything uh, all spring until the spring game, and uh, the two scrimmages they had weren't in the most optimal conditions, so that was tough for those guys. Uh, the kickers and uh, I think you know Smagley hitting I, I think going into the spring you would expect Smagley and Brooks to be the guys and I think exiting spring you're probably the same way but um, but yeah it's going to be interesting to see if if there's going to be a drop off on special teams or uh, you would expect there might be just because I think there Trevor has to be Daniel. at least a little bit yeah more. Um, but you know they should still you know can they find a guy can they find guys that are threats in the return game and that's something that Pruitt said is like a lot of times when you see big kickoff returns or big returns it's because of the the guy running the ball back so special players do special things yeah. and and, and i think that, rocket science. that's been kind of a been kind of a common thing uh you know with this podcast is that just more playmakers need to step up there you know it needs to be a collective effort because this team's going to need everybody on board however uh it, it doesn't need to be i mean there needs to be some guys out there doing big things because that that's what this team's going to need. Uh, before we get out of here, we've had a few days now. Pat, Pat and I talked about this a little bit during the Saturday night podcast, but we've had a few more days now to to think about kind of Pruitt's post game comments and and see some of the fan reaction that we've seen to it, and some people have maybe simmered down a little bit after their initial reaction on the comments. I liked the comment then. I like it now. I like that Pruitt has personality. I like that he will tell you what he thinks. I'm a big fan of that. But what what overall do we think of that? We've had time to process it now. Uh, is it something that he shouldn't have said even if it wasn't wrong? Is it something that, you know, because I, I, I still think that, that part of the frustration comes from the fact that he's looking at players who are just not as good as the players he's used to seeing. Yeah, and, and he had just... I, I made this point after the game. I think the fact that you're this is the first time head coach and you know you might have some frustrations after a game, especially when the games actually count. Um, and, and this is his first time really going through that situation where you've got your brief cool off period after a game, but you, you still haven't watched the tape. It's still pretty fresh and you're kind of you know you're in a position where you can kind of vent if, if you're unhappy about something and I, I don't know whether that was his emotions getting the best of him and he was just frustrated enough over the way the you know, as he opened his comments talking about the players quitting and things like that, you know, if that just frustrated him enough that it sort of boiled over to everything else. But the thing is, the next day he sort of stood by his comments. You know, he went on the nation and yeah. kind of backed it up. So I don't, I don't think he said it by accident. I don't no, think he. I, don't, I think he knew what he was. Saying. I think he knew exactly what he was saying. And I, here's the thing. Oh, I guess where I stand on is, I get the point. I understand that he's saying you've got to strive to be the best in everything, and that, and I, and I like involving the fans in that because you're challenging them, you're letting them be a part of it. And you're saying, hey, not only do we need you, we have to have you if we're going to get this thing turned around. I like that. I like and to be competitive this season, they're yeah. going to need Neyland to be as, a home a, field advantage. as they say across the pond, they need Neyland to be a fortress. They need Fortress Neyland. They need it to be 
a really, really tough place to go play. <clears throat> and they need it to be a place that isn't that, that can take a punch and stay loud. Yeah. You know, they, they need this team's going to need all the energy it can get. So, if the crowd's not a twelfth man, this team's in trouble. Yeah. So I so I think it's I think it's that. I, I I like it from that standpoint, but on the other hand, you gotta have some perspective a little bit. You gotta know what this fan base has been through. You gotta know I agree. You gotta know that you're coming off a disaster of a coaching search that resulted in you getting the job. I mean, that's why you got the job was because it was handled so poorly that they had to go with options that were not sitting head coaches. And so you gotta understand where that it's been a terrible decade and the Tennessee fans have stood by this team through that terrible decade they and have been incredibly loyal and they have and, and and I thought the fact that they didn't even do that much to promote the spring game and they still I had, think I think that was the mistake yeah and that they still ended up having 65,000 they made a late push the final week leading up to it they were all over social media with that but the fact that there wasn't a lot of buzz about the team there's not high expectations you're coming off the worst uh, the first eight loss season in program history. I mean, there's a lot of things working against them, and you still had sixty five thousand show up. Yeah, announced. I, but I, I do think it's important. I, I, I think it's important to look at perspective. I, I do, but I also think that Pruitt. He, it's not that he doesn't care about the past. It's that he knows what he needs right now for his team to win, and he's basically saying, "Get your thumb out of your mouth." Quit crying. Let's go do this together. Uh, and, and people can take that the wrong way, but I mean, anybody who's ever played ball can tell you that sometimes you just a coach is going to look at you. You know, when you're growing up, parents going to look at you and say, "Come on, be a big boy. Let's go do this. Put your big boy pants on and let's go." And and, and I think that it's not that he's trying to disrespect anyone. I don't think that's the case. I think he's just being honest and he's saying. You know, guys, I need you. We need you. So don't stay at home. Come help this team. Because if we want to get where we all want to get, I need you with us to do that. And yes, is that a big ask for Tennessee fans right now? Absolutely. These people bought in hook, line, and sinker. They've bought into the several of the past few, you know, yeah. situations. And they're trying to do it again, and that is tough. And they, sh- and they should be a little more hesitant this time to completely buy in to, to everything Jeremy Pruitt saying now you you have to be supportive I think as a fan but I I actually think it's a good thing that Tennessee's fans are being a little bit more reserved this time that they're taking more of a wait and see approach because you have a tendency with a new coach when you do buy in that anyone who you know there were some voices of reason early on that that saw some things with Derek Dooley and with Butch Jones and said hey I'm not sure this is going to play long term and and there was so much optimism early on that people said nah I don't want to hear that I think that it's a better thing for the a fan base's sanity that when you take more of a wait and see approach. But at the same time, you got to be supportive. So it's a tough balance to strike. But I think in this case, they showed they were supportive. Sixty-five thousand showed up for the spring game when they were given very little reason to be excited about the spring game. The mistake, no, no the fan sm- day was there. I mean that they had a lot of reasons not to show up, and they still showed up. And I think that's why you have to understand with that perspective, with what they've been through for the past decade, that wasn't the time maybe to make that statement. If you say it before the game. I think it's totally fair. If you challenge them and say, hey, we've had big crowds for the spring game before. Now, he did say the people who were here, I loved you being here. I appreciate yeah, that. That did. was the first. And he said the vol walk was incredible. He did, he did. He said a lot of those things. I mean, I think it was a it was a balanced comment. He did. But here's the thing. That, that crowd, that turnout draws nothing but praise from Butch Jones when he was here. That was one thing that Butch Jones, to his credit, I think understood, is that you need to be positive to the fans 
whenever possible. I think you only call out the fans when they really earn. You know, Nick Saban has been frustrated before at students leaving the game early and fans leaving the game early and things like that and not being loud enough. He's called them out for that in the past. By all means, do it. But I don't think this is a situation to call them out. So I think you have to you have to soften that message. Whether you want to get that out there or not, I think you just got to be careful with how you deliver it. And so, so now to a lot of people, this is fair or not, it looks like a, one of the first missteps for Jeremy Pruitt. Not a big deal. I think it's been way overblown. I'd but still see, maybe not something that had to be said. I think it's much to do about nothing. It, it mostly is. He wa- football coach wants his stadium more packed. What's the big deal? Yeah. And, you know, but you have I, the fifth largest crowd for a spring game in the country. I mean, about the two places yeah, but, he's been for the past decade were yeah. two of the four who had more. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, the way he put it, if you weren't there, why weren't you there? And yeah. If you didn't but have a legitimate reason, I mean, what else you got going? But I they've mean, never filled up the stadium for the spring game. Not, not once. And some places like history. LSU just never have a huge spring and, game. Yeah. I mean, it's just and it's Alabama. And, and it's Alabama e- only had eighty something thousand for the spring game. They didn't only. come close to filling theirs. Only. Up. But that's a place that has every reason. Tennessee to fill didn't it up. have sixty five, so that's you know that yeah. was an yeah. overestimate. Let's, I mean, I do think ba- a lot of people jokingly call it battered fan syndrome because that's what. And not not to make any kind of comparison there, but I'm saying like that's if you think about. You know, you got to be careful about how you put that, but I'm trying to be sensitive here. But I, I do think that, come on, give me. No, work, I, see, work, work I see what you're saying. Here, work with me you, here. It's not the kind of thing you want to be comparing pedaling. to. Yeah. But, but basically, I, I do think that it, it would help Pruitt to kind of understand where people are coming from. But I also think the bottom line is this is a guy who was hired to fix Tennessee football, to get Tennessee football to stop trying to wipe everybody's noses and telling them everything's going to be okay. He, he was hired to come in here, kick some dirt in your face, and say, let's go. And, and I think that he's a guy who, when it is what it needs to be, will say that. I don't think he'll hesitate to give praise when it's due. I really don't. Uh, I, I, I just think this is a guy who has spent a decade plus in some of the best environments, you know, the healthiest, most stable situations in college football, really, and, and the, some of the most winningest programs in the country national titles sec titles he has seen what it takes and i think he's trying to tell people listen guys i've not been a head coach before but i've been up close and a huge part of something that was really special and i'm telling you what we need here to make that happen so what i'm saying is if you weren't here why were you here if you want us to win come here we need your help He's not going to sit there and say, I'm sorry about the past and I'm sorry what you've been through and all this. He's saying, no, this is what we need right now. And there are some things he can't, some things you can't just come out and say the way you want to say them. And one of them is that for Tennessee to get better, to get to, to, get to where everybody wants that program to be in, in anything less than five years, you just have to overachieve at some point. You're either going to have to win with, have better results than, than what your talent actually says you should do. And, or you're going to have to recruit better than you should be able to. And one of the ways to do that is to have an, an amazing turnout for a spring game when no one expects you to. You know, that's the kind of thing, that's an opportunity. And that's probably the way he's looking at it is, if we, had, if we could have filled this place up today, man, what a statement that could have sent to all these recruits that were here. We had four official visitors, five, counting the, the graduate transfer. Have all these guys on campus, and we could have really sent a statement if we'd had 80,000, 90,000 people here. But and, we didn't. Yeah, and I totally understand where people are coming from when they say, listen... I want let, let me be unequivocal about this. I 1000% understand any Tennessee fan who says, "Why am I they keep asking me to buy in? What are they giving me in return? They're giving me crap football. They're giving me a bill of goods that, you know, that, you know, they're they're giving me nothing to be really that happy about. They're not giving me championship stuff." And I'm saying, 
I 1000% understand that and do not blame anyone who has that mindset. However, the bottom line is if you want this team to win, you're going to have to get over it, suck it up, put on your big boy or big girl pants and go back there and cheer again and show up again. Because if you want this team to win, you do have to show blind faith as a fan because that's what it takes. You don't climb out of the abyss without getting everybody's help. If you want to recruit, if you want this team to be competitive, one of the easier ways to do that is to show up in force and be what Tennessee fans always are. And it sucks because this team might be at best six and six, guys. That might be the best case scenario. But part of being a fan is having blind faith. And part of getting to where you want to go is being part of the solution and you've been doing your part and you've not been getting a fair shake. And I understand that. But what I'm telling you is if you're looking at the the present and the future, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. I'm sorry, but it's irrelevant. You have to show up if you want to win and you got to be, you got to help them because they need it. That that's, I think that's Pruitt's message. And I, I, completely understand it and i I think he needs to not care that that people might get a little bit offended by it he's trying to say this is the way to fix it let's go well i think the problem is not many people got the message because they were too worried about being offended by it that's that's the problem that's where that's where i think you lose the effectiveness of it because people are saying hey we've been great why how, how dare you come in here not knowing our history not respecting what we've been through the last decade and saying that that's that's the problem is i think that's been the reaction for the most part from the people who have cared about the comment so i think the the message, that, that's where I've been. I, I, I totally understand why Jeremy Pruitt was saying it. I just don't know if the delivery was perfectly executed, I guess. Well, I mean, he's. I think he's challenged a lot of people. It's not just the fans. He's challenged former his players. team all spring, former players. Um, that's just it's just how it's going to be. I mean, you, you Tennessee fans have gotten used to a, a coach that tried to paint everything as a positive, even when, you know, it, you know you were early in the season where you were about to get fired – and you're still touting that you were 19 and five in your last 24 games. You take Had a, a very, lot of momentum. You take a very odd selection of games to fit what your uh, you know fit what your version of reality is, and so that's different now. I mean, that, this Tennessee Tennessee fans are going to get a coach that's not going to mince words. He's not going to he's not going to beat around the bush. If he say, if he's feeling something, he's going to say it. And if he thinks there there should have been more people at Tennessee spring game and he doesn't know why there wasn't, he's going to say that. And, and if I'm a fan, I'd still prefer this. And absolutely, I mean, I've said it before. Like, what, what, ha- you know, what was, what, what, what you had, got you four and eight. Let's try something totally different, <laughs> and this is totally different. So it's just going to have to be something that everybody's going to have to get used to. And and you, you've heard the message from Pruitt and from Fulmer that it takes everybody pulling in the same direction. And that includes everybody down to the to the fan that's you know spending money or not spending money to take their families up and go to the spring game. So that's that's just how it goes, and that's how he believes uh, you get to the point where you're at a level of Alabama or Georgia or Florida State. So that's just that's that's how he views the situation, and that's how he's going to be. And it's just it's just a departure. It's just different. Yeah. If this was you know if you weren't going from Butch Jones to Jeremy Pruitt, I don't know how big of a deal this would be. I don't yeah. I don't think it's that big of a deal anyway. Frankly, no, I don't either. Uh, you know, your fans part of showing up is you know that's the main part. Yeah, and, and I. I, I the shortest way to say it, and we'll get out of here with this, and unless you'll have something else to add, is that I, I, I think to sum it up briefly, it's I understand your pain, 
uh, but I need you to put on a brace and get over it. And that's and that would have been a great way of saying it, honestly. You know, like, hey, guys, I understand if, if you've been through a lot, but you know what? That's irrelevant to now. And that's where Pruitt's lack of polish, I think, just showed up for the first. I mean, for the first time, it maybe hurt him. Um, and it wasn't again not a big deal. I don't think it's been a, it's been overblown by some people. But if you just yeah, if you say it that way, you say, hey, look, sixty five thousand is a great turnout with everything everything Tennessee's been through. I'm not at all unappreciative of all the people who came out today and enjoyed the good weather and watched us play. Um, I appreciate the support, but, but if we're going to take this thing to the next level, you know what? We need even more than that. We need everybody. And if you, if you say it like that, if you frame it that way, I think the message can get through loud and clear and I think people can respect it. So I think you just got to be a little more careful with how exactly you say things because fans are sensitive. And as we've seen before, when Tennessee fans get upset, they can, they can turn on you, and, and you don't want that if you're Jeremy Pruitt. I don't think this is at all that kind of thing that fans have turned on him because of this, but I do think you, you worry if you, if you have things like that in the future, you, you could risk hurting some feelings to the point that it, that it does have a negative impact. I mean, you just, you know, guys, you can't be sensitive. Uh, no, <laughs> this, it this, is. This is not a lovey-dovey sensitive head well, coach. This is not what he was no, hired it's, to do. No, it's this not. not but Wes, Wes, we talk about it before, though, with every time they're you know hiring a head coach or anything like that, Tennessee, as, as the head coach, part of the job is how you publicly pre- portray things. And, and that is part of the job that Jeremy Pruitt is learning at. And this, I think, showed it because that you've got to be out there and you've got to say some things and you've got to get the message across right because people have shown before they're listening. You know, Butch Jones, all those things he said in press conferences. Some people got tired of press conferences being overblown, but people showed they were listening. They were they were paying attention to the Champions of Life stuff. They were they were paying attention to all those things, and they got tired of hearing it. And and so they want to, they want to hear the coach say the right things. And in this case, I, you know, I, I, again, I think the messages could have been delivered better. But this this is part of the job at a place like Tennessee. That's the reality. That's that's fair, and I, and I think that's a good place to end it. Unless Patrick has any more eloquent thoughts that he would like to add. Uh, they wouldn't be very eloquent. Eloquent. See, sure, they I can't would. even talk. Right. Sure, they would be. <laughs> sure, they would be. No. No. Eloquence and me don't go together. That's why I'm in the internet business and not on TV or radio. Hey, we do all of it on GoBoss 24 7. It's true, we do. Because everything's presented by the GoBoss 24 7 podcast. We are uh, capital M multi platform, capital J journalists. We try to keep our faces out of the limelight whenever possible, but. Wes doesn't, we though. Wes likes to be in the limelight. That's true. Like the Rush song says. I actually really don't love it as much as people think I do, but it's just what you can't change what people think, so. You can, sometimes you just humble, wake up. Humble brag. Sometimes you just wake up and something is what it is, and you go, okay. I woke up this morning, and I'm awesome, and everyone knows me. See, that's <laughs> that's not at all what I said. <laughs> it's not what I meant. Ryan's about to fall, over, fall out of his chair over here. I got it's, 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 it's not what right. I said. However, um, I like to say I'm a master of multi- multimedia mediocrity. That's I can, fair. I can do everything, Aren't we all absolutely though, really? everything, at a mediocre level. Patrick. I would I would say I'm a little bit above mediocre. I'll Just give you slightly that. though. I'll give you that. A smidgen. I'll give you that. Our boss has you above me in the power rankings right now for sure. Has me above. Never mind. Number one. Numero uno. Numero uno, right here. We're talking to number 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 one here, Patrick Brown. So number one, Patrick Brown. You got any final thoughts? Nah. <laughs>